Lord. I'm going to make it quick today because I know you have to prepare for your Super Bowl parties. Amen. I'm just kidding. Um, I want, I'm just so excited about what God's doing in the church. Amen. I want to encourage you all after service to sign up for our city links. You know, the whole theme behind it is the church cannot hold us anymore. Uh, besides the fact that we're growing beyond our capacity. But uh, as we get bigger, we have to get smaller. And so I believe that you can invite a friend to someone's house before they would come to church with you. And, uh, and so we're starting some awesome stuff. We're going to do some sermon-based small groups and uh, uh, what we're calling now City Links. And I really encourage you to sign up and to get involved in your church. Amen? Amen. And uh, any, any, any Nick fans besides myself here? It's a great day to be a Knicks fan. If you didn't watch the game last night, I'll give you a once-over. We won by close to 50 points. That's all that matters. And... Uh, I'm just kidding. Come on, let's pray right now. We are embarking. Somebody say embarking. On a four-week series entitled Labors of Love. Labors of Love. And I would ask you that you would commit to at least a tenth, two to three of them. Uh, if you can, we're going to build every week on each one. So come on, let's bow our heads to Heavenly Father. We, we're just humbled by your presence in this house, God. We thank you, Lord, for what you're doing at Citywide Church, Father God. We thank you, Lord, you're bringing them in from the east, the south, the north, the west, Father God, and you're just filling your house, God. And God, we understand that no matter what comes against us, God, that you've called us for this season and this time. God, no matter what comes against us as a church or as a, in, as a body, Father God, we're, we're, we're just committed to you, God. And so what the enemy throws at us doesn't matter to us, God. And Father, we pray right now that you would open our hearts deep for the word of God to come in, God. For the word of God to really just penetrate our hearts as we move towards your will. In Jesus' mighty name, we pray. Let the church say amen. If you can get that back door for me. I want you to turn with me in your Bibles to John, the 15th chapter. Uh, I'll be reading from verses 9 to 12 for today. It's kind of like our flagship for the scriptures and uh, for the series, rather. And uh, I got some cool stuff for you today. Amen. Everybody excited? Yeah. Praise God. I know it's a little chilly. The, the boiler turned off during service, and we... Uh, we have the gentleman downstairs right now fixing it, so it should have warmed up in a little bit. But what you should have done was started jumping in the spirit when I had that cold problem. But um, I'm excited. I'm excited. John chapter 15. John chapter 15. And I'll be reading from the New International Version. And for some reason, I'm in Esther. But here we go. I marked it. Amen. I'm prepared. John the 15th chapter. And this is Jesus speaking to his disciples. And John the 15th chapter is probably one of my favorite scriptures in all the bible the entire chapter has some amazing promises of god some amazing things that god says to his people in this and maybe you should read the whole thing on your own time amen john the 15th chapter and i'm reading from verse 9 and it says this jesus speaking to the disciples as the father has loved me so have i loved you now remain in my love if you obey my commands you will remain in my love and just as I have obeyed my father's commands and remained in his love. And I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. Loving God brings joy. Somebody say amen. amen. Not any joy, complete joy. My command is this. Love each other as I have loved you. For greater love has no man than this. That he laid down his life for his friends. Greater love has no man. This is my commandment, the 12th verse. Jesus said, this is my commandment to you, that you would love one another. You know, I believe in today's sermon that we're going to end up with more questions than answers. You got me? I kind of wrote this sermon in an effort to ask more questions and to leave you asking yourself questions. And I'll start off by saying this. What would happen if an entire city... An entire church would rise up really in the love that is the Father's. Just think about that for a moment. What would happen if a church decided to really change the landscape of their city and all they used was one weapon, and that's God's love? What would happen in your communities and in your families if you showed the love of God and always turned the other cheek? 
What would your life look like if you decided to really live God's love and not always take God's love? What if you decided to give God's love rather than always just receive God's love? Play a little louder so I can get more emotional, okay? I believe with all my heart the church has failed in showing God's love. We focus so much on the exterior that we fail to realize that Jesus embraced all that came in his path. And it was only the ones who worked on the exterior who made everything on the outside look good that Jesus rejected. For the Bible says that Jesus declared to the Pharisees that they were whitewashed tombs. That means they painted themselves white, but they were empty on the inside. They were full of death and decay. And they were the ones who had it religiously correct. They were the ones who had it all going on. And they were the ones who wore the right clothes and did the right things and always said the right stuff. And a whitewash is when you have a white wall and, or a fence maybe and you add an extra layer. You wash it with more white paint. It's a whitewash. And he says, you look brand new. You look really good. You look really put together. But on the inside, you're a mess. And I believe too many churches across our city, across our state and in the Northeast, we focus so much on the exterior. We focus so much on the, our actions and not our thoughts. We focus so much on the symptoms of disease, but not the source of what is plaguing us. We focus on the fact that you curse rather than looking at the fact that you had a bad upbringing and you don't have a good vocabulary. We focus on the fact that you, you, you might have to cheat on your wife or you cheat on your husband, but yet they don't know you've been molested and have no self-worth for yourself. And so we diagnose the symptom but never go to the source of the sickness where someone's been suffering for years and the church doesn't show them love they cast them out much like the pharisees dragged the woman who was caught in adultery before jesus and said what should we do with her and according to the law she should be stoned but according to jesus he said let he who is without sin cast the first stone what if what if your motto became you saying i don't want to cast the first stone what would your life look like what would your life look like if you said to yourself, I don't want to be the individual who always has something to say about somebody. I don't want to be the individual who never reflects God's love. You know, you're supposed to be like a mirror for God. Not a black hole, not just taking stuff in, but never giving stuff back out. And so Jesus says in John the 15th chapter, this is my commandment that you would love one another. Tell somebody next, y'all love you. You know, church, what would happen? What would happen? Listen to this. What would happen if you love the prostitute the way you love your own sister? What would your life look like if you loved, if you loved rather the drunkard the way, the way you loved your brother? What would happen if you cared about the sick kids in the neighborhood the way you cared about your sick kids in your house? What would happen if your heart began to reach beyond yourself and you began to see the bigger picture, which is you are not here for yourself, but you are here for something greater, and that is for the will of God, the will of Jesus Christ. What would happen? What would happen if, if you took John, 1 John 4.11 seriously where the Bible says, Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought to love one another. What would happen? What would happen if you saw the lady in front of you at, at ShopRite and she couldn't afford all her groceries and you took the last $10 you had and said, here, you can have it. That's not called paying it forward. That, that's called showing the love of Christ. What would happen if we began to be exhibits of God's love? rather than examples of why he has to love. Maybe you're confused by that. Maybe, maybe what if your life looked like you showing God's love rather than why we always need God's love? Because we have it a mess in our lives because we don't have it well put together. What would your family look like if, if wives, you loved your husband the way God loved you? What would happen if as husbands, you loved your wife? The way God loved you. What would your families look like if you treated your kids the way God treated you? And not act out in anger and act out in foolishness and hurt and pain. What would happen, church? What would happen to the church itself if we embrace one another at our lowest points, at our highest points? What would happen if we embrace one another and just show the extremely 
just like huge love that is God. What, what would it look like if you embraced the, the children of the other church members around you? The way you embrace your own children. What if you went to the child you knew had no father and said, I, you can look up to me. I'll be an example for you. Young man, I, I, could be the, I could be the father figure you need. And I'm not dating your mom, but hey, listen, I could be that father figure you need. I could be the person you look up to and not have any strings attached and no expectations. What would happen, church, if we began to exhibit God's love? What would happen? If we labored in God's love, if we labored in it. Because you know what? Truth be told, love is hard work. What would happen if you began to, you know what would happen if you began to love the prostitute the way you love yourself? That when you drove by them, you would stop and see if you could take them home with you, not to sleep with, but to actually clothe and to give them a warm bed. When you walked by the drunkard and you, and you didn't worry about how he smelt or what he was doing with the $2 you were going to give him, but you showed him God's love. Because you know what? It's so funny. We say, I'm not going to give that beggar my hard-earned money. Oh, I wouldn't do that because they're going to use it for drugs or they're going to use it for, for drunkenness or whatever it is. But yet, every day you come to the presence of God begging, and by the end of the night, you've already sinned it all away. Oh, if the shoe fits, just wear it. I bought them for your size. One size fits all. It's good. New brand name, and it's called Conviction. It's just not Converse, Conviction. What would, what would happen if we began to really give a crap about people? Because the fact of the matter is this, and that may sound vulgar, but the fact of the matter is this, most of us just don't give a crap about nobody. We're in it for ourselves. Some of us have a selfish version, a selfish brand of Christianity. We come not to draw near to God, but to bring God near to us so that we can receive, and that's called religion. But relationship has no, listen, if you, if you do or you don't, I'm still going to love you regardless. Come hell or high water, I'm going to love you regardless. Jesus said it in John 15, I think it's in verse 10. He said, listen, I'll make your joy complete if you would just love me. If you would obey my commands, that means you love me. Jesus, he didn't walk by the sinner. He called them into his service. Matthew was a tax collector. And everyone knows in that day, in that age, tax collectors were the most, some of the biggest thieves around that could make their own taxes. Up. As long as the Roman government got what they wanted, they could walk up to your house. If the tax was $10, they would say, listen, uh, you have to give me 20 bucks. Because the tax collector never got paid. They had to get their own money from the people so they could make their own prices and say, listen, you got to pay me 20. Even though it's just 10, you got to pay me 20. And this is the person that Jesus called into his service. You know, Peter, come on. You read the Bible about Peter. Peter was a straight, like he was a G. Peter was wild. The Bible talks about he was wild with his mouth. He was reckless. When they tried arresting Jesus, dude pulled out a sword and chopped off a dude's ear. And he was like, back away from my JC. Like, we rode deep. And Jesus is like, don't do that. He picked up the guy's ear off the ground, healed him. And he's like, I just cut that ear off. What are you doing? This is a mess. But yet, when he received God's love, after Jesus died, 50 days later, he's preaching. And 3,000 get saved, and by the end of the week, 8,000 get saved. What happens if that drunkard you're walking by might be the next Billy Graham? That child you refuse to mentor, that's just some chick's kid in the church. That young man, that young boy, what if he could be the next Joel Houston? What if he could be the next Jimmy Swagger? What if he could be the next Joel Olstein? What if he could be the next Joseph Prince? But yet, because we don't give our generation a chance, because we're too busy loving ourselves, and loving others means not loving ourselves as much as we love. And so we feel as if we don't have enough love to spread to others. We, we, we in Bridgeport and around surrounding communities, we have this really sick mentality that we don't have enough. But you got too much. And you should give some away. A couple of amen people, I don't know about that part. I can't, if I say amen, that means so be it. I'm not going to amen that one because uh, I kind of want to keep everything I have, Pastor. Church, what would happen? What would your life look like? We've always said this. What if you became selfless and not selfish? What is, your, what is your reason for coming to God? Is your reason coming to God because you want or because you love? What is the, the determining factor? Where is the motive? For, for truth be told, everything God does is predicated and motivated by one thing, and that is love. For the Bible tells us in 1 John chapter 4, verse 8, that God is love. Like God at his character, at the core of who God is.
God is. God is love. God made Adam and Eve so he could love them and so he could be loved. God made Lucifer so he could love him and so he could lead the angels in love. When, when Adam sinned, the Bible says that God clothed him in skin garments, meaning God killed an animal. God killed an animal and clothed us because he loved us. God has done so many things for you because he loves you. John 3.16, it declares in the greatest lyrics possible to any song, to any word, to any verse. For God so liked, for God so kind of really cared, or is it for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that any who would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. I like the way the amplified version says it, and I've shared it with you before, but bear with me. It says, for God so greatly loved and dearly prized the world that he even gave up his only begotten unique son so that whoever believes and trusted him clings to him relies on him shall not perish shall never come to destruction or be lost but they shall have everlasting life it was all predicated on love when God created mankind he knew we would fall and yet he loved us so much even before he created us that he knew how horrible some of us would be but yet he Loved us nonetheless. John the 15th chapter and verse 13. It says greater love has no man that he would lay down his life for his friends. I don't know if you caught that because that means you're a friend of God. Because he sent his only son to lay down his life for you. God wants to have a close relation. That doesn't sound like religion to me. Jesus said I lay my life down for my friends. I lay my life down. You know, you read John the 14th chapter. There's a part in the 14th chapter where Jesus is talking about having to leave. He's talking about having to go away. He's talking about having to, to leave the disciples. And the disciples, in their immaturity, were like, don't go away from us. We love you too much. But true love gives up things so that other things can benefit. Maybe you don't understand that. The disciples were being selfish about Jesus. They thought he was going to go somewhere else or do something, but he was talking about dying so that he can make many sons and many daughters in the kingdom of God. And in their immaturity, they could not see that he had to leave. And sometimes in your immaturity, you may not see that you have to let some of that love that God's put in there in your life and in your heart. You've got to let it back out and feed the world. Is anybody here with me today? Do you understand what I'm saying? Romans 5, 6 from the Amplified Bible, it declares this. While we were yet in weakness, we were powerless to help ourselves. At the fitting time, Christ died for in behalf of the ungodly. Verse 7. Now, it is an extraordinary thing for one to give his life even for an upright man. Though perhaps for a noble and a lovable, a generous benefactor, but yet, he died for those who were ungodly. But God shows and clearly proves his own love for us by the fact that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. I'm trying to build a picture for you, church, that you would know that God, at his core, he radiates love. At the center of who God is, is love. God's love was not earned. And it's not based on anything we could ever do or say. God's love is just like God is. There's no beginning. There's no end to God's love. He just loves you. But yet, that's not how we operate. For our love is based on a merit system. When you treat me good, I'll love you. When you're nice to me, I'll love you. When you can benefit me, I'll love you. But as long as you can't benefit me, as long as I feel like you don't treat me right, I'm not going to love you. I'm not going to show you what, you what God showed me because I'm, I'm just me. But yet the Bible says that we should be like God. Be holy for I am holy. Our goal is to, is to be like God. Christ and he says listen as I have obeyed my father's commands and as his love has stayed in me you 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 should love one another his love is not earned he did not wait until you were deserving of it he did not wait listen church if you're waiting to give God's love out to other people until you feel ready or until until other people seem worthy of it you'll be waiting for the rest of your life because nobody's ever going to be worthy of true love there's nothing we can do to ever ever be worthy but yet 
if we reflected God, if we reflected Christ-like attitude, then we would begin to love others even when it didn't benefit us. True love keeps on loving even when it hurts someone. True love pushes past situations and <clears throat> true love pushes past issues and circumstances. First John 3:16, by this we know love that he laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. And I know some of you might have just thought I cursed because I said that we have to lay down our lives and that's not a popular theme in the church as a matter of fact we teach in the church that when we come to God we have new life now we teach that when you come to God life is going to be great and God's going to fill you with energy and power and then you go home and feel the same and you're like what is going on this is not what they preach and then you think you have to do more and you feel like you have to give more and you feel like you got to pray more and that's all good stuff to do but yet it's not really what it is because Jesus said if any man loves his life he will lose his life. But if any man loses his life for my sake, he gains life. And so you're looking to make a life with Christ, and he's like, oh, okay, well, die. But I want to live with you. But he's like, die. Die, die to yourself. I know this sounds crazy. To, to be able to gain life is to die. And Jesus is really talking about the agricultural term. We all know this, that he said even a seed has to die before it bears fruit. When you plant a seed in the ground, you put it, you know, deep in the ground, and the seed literally has to physically die. It dies. It, it dies and it opens up. And then what's inside gives birth to a new plant. And so Jesus is saying, if any man desires, if he desires to love his life, then he has to lose his life. But if you try to keep yourself going, Listen, church, you can't do anything on your own authority. You can't do anything under your own power. I think what this church needs to do is step out in great faith and operate in great love that is God's love. Amen? Ask your neighbor, just what if? Just talk to them and say, what if? Could you imagine that? What would happen if you began to love the way God loves you? What would happen if God's love became so real and tangible in your life that you forgave people who hurt you? Jesus tells this parable. I wasn't going to tell you this, but he tells this parable. And it's in a couple of the books of the Bible. And there's a parable of a man who owes his master a, a, a great sum of money. We'll just say it's a million dollars. We'll say he owed this guy a million dollars. And according to Jewish law... This master could take this man who owed him a million dollars and he could take and put his entire family into slavery until he worked off that debt. And so the Bible says that the, the, the master brought the servant before him and he said, you owe me a million dollars. And the guy was pleading with him and he pled his case. He said, I want to pay you. I just can't right now. If you would just help me, if you would just give me some time. And the master was so moved with compassion that he looked upon the servant and said, listen, I forgive your entire debt. Wouldn't you like somebody to do that? Forgive your entire... Isn't that awesome? So you walked up to the UI. You owed $1,000. forget. Don't worry about it, man. We got more where that came from. You know? How many of you think that's an awesome feeling? Debt-free. Somebody say amen. And so, and so the, the Bible says that this servant, he left outside. And then he saw Juan. And he saw Juan walking past and going into the master's house. He's like, Juan, hey, yo, you borrowed $13 last week from me. I want my money. And, and the guy's like, listen, I don't got the money to pay you. He's like, I want my $13. That's like a movie ticket nowadays. And a half of a half of a large soda. And he says, man, listen, I want my money. And he looks at the person next to him and he says, listen, arrest him. He called the jailers and he said, arrest him. He owes me a debt that he refuses to pay. And the Bible says the master caught wind of this. And he looked at the other servant. He said, you are a wicked servant. You're a wicked servant that I forgave you this huge debt, but you can't forgive someone else who owes you pennies. And you may say, pastor, how does that really bear upon my life? Because yet... You, you have been forgiven a, a plethora of sins, even sins you haven't committed. God has forgiven you already. And that sounds hard to believe that he's forgiven this great debt. He paid a price for your life that you could never pay yourself. And yet you don't forgive people who've hurt you. 
And so you don't forgive the one sin, but God forgave the thousands you would commit. And you become the servant who would put the other person in the jail. And you lock yourself and that person in a prison of unforgiveness and a prison of bitterness. And truth be told, the basis of everything is you don't know how to operate in God's love. Somebody say, God is love. Mark chapter 12, verse 28. Write that down if you're taking notes. I want to read through it really quickly. Mark chapter 12. Jesus is, is teaching and One of the teachers of the law, here we're going to read it, verse 28, came and heard them debating and noticing Jesus had given good answers before he asked him, of all the commandments, which is the most important? The most important one answered Jesus is this, and he repeats a prayer called the Shama that all the Israelites would have known. You might not know this, but it comes from Deuteronomy, and every good Jew had to repeat this prayer twice a day, and it's called the Shama. And he says this, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. That was the prayer, that was the prayer that every Jew prayed twice a day. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God. The Lord is one. You should love the Lord your God with all your mind, with all your heart, with all your strength, and with all your soul. And he said, and the second commandment is like unto it, that you would love your neighbors as you love yourself. All the commandments and all the law of the prophets, Jesus said, hangs upon those two commandments. Loving God. You know, I I think of the fact that the fact is that this, we can't even love people we can see around us. How in God's name could you really have true love for God? How can you really, if you have a hard time loving what you can see, how can you love what you can't see? True love for God. We have to love God. Jesus said the greatest commandment, the most important thing you can do with your entire life is to love God. I know it sounds simple enough, and maybe some of you came for some deep, profound truth, some theological answer, some doctrinal issue you've been facing in your life. But I believe the church has gotten tripped up on theology. We got hung up on doctrine and not gone to the basics of Christianity, which is that love drove Jesus to that cross. Love drove God to create you. Love motivates God in everything he does. And if we can stick to the basics, we could build something amazing in this place. He said, love, love God. Yeah, that sounds just like nothing. Love God. In order to truly love God, church, your actions should speak louder than your words. Some of us say, oh, I love God with all my heart. I see you on Facebook, and hey, keep on posting about God on Facebook. I love when you do. Oh, but I love God. I love God. A couple posts later, you're cussing. A couple posts later, you're just like talking some drama. People are so phony. People are so fake. Next five minutes later, the Lord is with me. No weapon born against me shall prosper. All right, I mean, if that's really how you want to be, I mean, I guess you can do that. Does that honor God? You see, I don't think most of us have this filter. And this filter, see, on my camera, I have a DSLR camera, about a 12 megapixel uh, professional grade camera. And, and I could put different filters on the front, and that can get different effects in my pictures. And I think that some of us need a filter in our hearts and in our minds that says, is what I'm about to do going to please God? Because you know what? As hard as it is sometimes, even in my personal life, I try my best, and many times I fail. I try my best to, to, to ask myself if what I'm about to do is going to be okay with the boss, my wife, you know. And sometimes I'll answer yes, sometimes I'll answer no, and sometimes I just won't care. And not that it's right, but yet, if I can get that right, is what I'm going to do going to satisfy or bring merit to God's name? Is what I'm going to say, or how am I feeling? We say, how many of you know you, you say you love God? But how many of you also know your actions speak so contrary to your words? And Jesus, he recited the scripture that comes in Isaiah. He says, with their mouths, they worship me with their hearts are so far from me. And I believe the main reason why the church of God all across the nation can't exhibit the love of God is because we don't really love God the way God asked us to love him. Because Jesus said in John 15, if you loved me, you would follow my commandments. Yeah, he said, if you love me, if you loved me, you would follow my commandments. Amen. Love at its core for God is everything that motivates him. In order to truly love God, church, your actions have got to speak louder than your words. Our hearts should be drawn close to God. Our, our minds humbled before God. Love at its human core aims to satisfy and to please. But God's love 
brings joy and completion. Jesus said in John 15, if you love me, it will bring you joy, not any joy, complete joy. Yeah, love makes the world go round. They weren't kidding about that one. He said, listen, you'll have complete joy in your life if you would just walk in love. Do you know why that is? When you walk in love, things don't bother you the way they should. You see, I, I, I look at Jesus' teachings, and this sounds might sound, you know, just like blasphemous, but they weren't that deep on the surface. But they were just so contrary to what we're, humans are accustomed to. He said, if someone steals from you, give them, give them, take your cloak, give them your, give them your you know, your togo too. If they slap you, turn the other cheek and say, hey, I got one more of those. Yeah, that's what he said. He was always talking about, you know, showing love. And so the world says to hate your enemies. And Jesus says, you've heard it told you should hate your enemies. But I say, and I command you to love your enemies. And like people are like, what? That doesn't even make sense. He's like, just sprinkle some love on it and it's going to work out in your favor. And when you're walking in God's love church, things won't bother you the way they should. And your reaction to things will be much different than they are. Because when you walk in God's love, church, you begin to realize that God still loves you even when someone hurt you. God still loves you even when others reject you. And you feel the acceptance of God Almighty. Why do you need to feel the acceptance of man? Things should change in your perspective. Your human love aims to please and to satisfy and to feel deserved. But God's love is undeserved. God's love at its core is life changing. It's so hard to think of love because in our humanity, we can easily fall out of love. When things happen that are against our mindset, we fall out of love with people. She hurt me. I don't love her no more. Or the famous line, I love them, but I keep them at a distance. I don't, I don't remember saying that in, in Jesus' commands. I, I don't remember Jesus saying, love your enemies from a distance. Not for nothing. It's really hard to love from a distance. It's hard to love. Love is kind of like one of those, you know, just, it just, when, you, when I think of the word love, I don't think distance. I think closeness, proximity. Do you love? Do you love the way God has called you to love? Or do you love based on a human system of merit, a human system of, does this person deserve my love? And you may not realize it, but that spills into the overflow of your heart. And that, that's why we say stuff like, oh my God, look at that bum in the streets. Why, if they have money for a fresh marker to make that sign, they got money to go look for a job. We're so, we're so ignorant sometimes, and I've done it too. We'll, we'll go and say, look at him, <coughs> begging for money, but that dude had a fresh pair of shoes on. He ain't, man, he, he up to that. This is scheming. Get a job. Come on, how many of you have done stuff? Look at his clothes. Got, you can't be a beggar with clean clothes. His beard is shaped up, man. He ain't, a, he ain't a beggar. He's scheming out here, and you don't realize that somebody gave him the sneakers off their own feet. You don't realize that a barber said, come on in here. Let me give you a shape of, I don't want you looking like that because he was reflecting God's love. What you don't realize is a pastor maybe drove by them and brought them into their house and washed their clothes. And yet, here you are, a Christian on fire for God in one of the best churches across the city. And you can't even love people? What is wrong with us that we can't love people the way God loves them? God loves Jesus came and showed love to the tax collectors, the prostitutes, the harlots, the adulterers. And he came and he surrounded himself with sinners. And he said, listen, I love you guys. He found the dying man on a cross next to him. He, Jesus is sitting there dying, but yet he found time to love. And you're sitting here, breath in your body. Sickness nowhere near you. And you can't even find time to love. I want you to leave with one resounding thought today. What would happen in my life if I began to reflect the love of God? What would happen at your job if you began to reflect God's love? What would happen at your job if you stopped talking bad about the boss? What would happen at the job if you started being the example of Christ that you're supposed to be and not the one that you're fighting to be? Some of you have been fighting that battle for years. Get over it. Some of you have been fighting the battle for Christianity for years. Get over it. Just start acting like Christ. Some of you have to fake it until you make it. Show God's love. But God's love can change people's lives. 
And you may say, Pastor, that's a tall order. I'm only asking you to do what God's already done for you. <clears throat> I'm only asking you to do what God has desired to do for you. Do you love God the way you should? Does your love for God draw you to the hurting, the broken? Does your love for God come with limits? I love God and I love coming to church, but I'll never help the church. I'll never volunteer. I'll never know. I'm just, I, that's not my, I don't have love in me to do that. I love God. And me and God, you know, me and God, you know, I don't need the church because I am the church. You know, how many of you believe you're the church? Amen. That's not true. I'm so sorry to break it to you. If you really read scripture, that's a doctrine of the devil because the Bible never calls us the church. It never calls the Christian singular believer the church. As a matter of fact, Hebrews chapter 10, verse I think it's 25 says, Neglect not the gathering of the saints as some of you are in the habit of doing. The church in and of itself is a word that means ecclesia, which is the governing body of all the believers. And so if you really read scripture, if you really get down to the nitty gritty, the doctrine of the devil is I am the church. I don't need the church. I can stay home and have church. I know I just messed up 10 years of bad teaching that some of your old pastors gave you. Read the Bible. That's a doctrine of the devil. Truth that comes disguised, or rather lie coming disguised in a truth. Think of the real people in your life who say, I am the church. They're the ones who don't go to church. Some of us say it because we think it sounds good, but some people really believe it, and they refuse to submit to the authority of the governing body of the church. They don't want no pastor over them. They don't want no apostle over them. They want to live their lives the way they want to. I know I just messed somebody up, and that's all right. Do your own research. We're called to love, but how do we, does our love for God have Limits, and I believe the truth of the matter is, if you searched your heart, many of you, your love for God has limits. Sometimes that limit is called Sunday. <laughs> I love God on Sundays. I'll serve God on Sundays. I'll participate in worship on Sundays. But Monday, I'm busy. Tuesday, I'm, my schedule's tight. Wednesday, God has to understand I can never join a city link. And on Thursdays, well, Thursdays is my date night with myself because I'm single. But I'm acting in faith, and so God, I have no time for you. Friday, I'm just watching whatever I want to watch on TV. Saturday, I catch up on all my old shows that I missed on Thursday, Friday, and Monday, and Tuesday, and Wednesday. And Sunday, well, I can do Sunday. Thank you, Lord. And every week, God, I want to draw closer. And he's like, all right, we'll draw closer then. And you're like, I want to draw closer, God. We come to the altar, I love you, God. Oh, God, I want to be a heaven-minded. I want to be a world change. I want to be this. But we go about our own schedule all week long. Our love for God, does it have limits called Sundays? Does it have limits in your life? Anybody here with me today? I know I might have offended somebody. That's all right. Are there things you refuse to do for God? I remember a day, Melvin, in the old church. When I say the old church, I mean years ago, when there was no such thing as being offended in church, but rather being convicted by the Holy Spirit. Yeah, I remember when the pastors would speak and the Spirit of God would come upon the place and convict the hearts. But now there's a haughty spirit that comes upon us. And we feel like, why does he think he has the, the audacity to say stuff like that? Because it's the God's honest, bold-faced truth. And because if more people would show God's love, maybe some of your lives wouldn't have been as difficult as they have been. But yet God gives you the opportunity to succeed where others have failed you. And that is to be the spectacle that it's God's love. We base our lives and our love on things like what someone does for us and what they can do for us. But God says, whatever you've done, I love you. Whatever you do, I love you. Wherever you go, I love you. And so with everything, we have limits to God. There's areas of our life we refuse to surrender to God. Things we wouldn't give God because we just need to do that thing right now. God has to understand our hearts and God has to understand where we're going. And, and, and I know in our finite minds, it's really hard to understand the immense uh, measure of God's love in our lives. I know it's really hard to understand that there's nothing you could do that can ever make God not love you. David said, even if I made my bed in hell, Lord, there you are with me. There's nothing, church, there's nothing in this world, neither heaven nor hell, that could ever separate you from God's love. Want to hear a sad thing? That even the people right now who didn't make it into heaven with eternity with God, the ones who are in hell right now suffering because of their own decisions, God loves them. And God's heart breaks for them. And God's heart hurts for them. In order to love God, you have to love what God loves. In order to love God, 
You have to love who God loves. Do you want to hear a secret? Anybody want to hear a deep, profound secret in here? If you can, just lean forward and you see. I don't want nobody else to hear this. <laughs> just a deep, profound secret. God loves the people that you hate. God loves the man that molested you. God loves the mother that rejected you. God loves the husband that divorced you and cheated on you. And God loves the wife who left all her family to go be with another man. God loves them. And he doesn't love them less. This is, this is the mind-boggling part. This is like a total mind screw. Like, God loves them the same as you. God loves the person who might take the death row uh, stance in the electric chair this week. And God loves the murderer and the rapist. And God loves the child molester. And God, oh, that's just, oh, my God, God loves them. Yeah, and not only does he love them, here's the crazy part. He died for them, too. Yeah, God, God loves the drug dealer on the street. God loves the prostitute. And God loves the people. Think of the person who's hurt you the worst in your life. And come to grips with the fact that God loves them. Pastor, why are you saying that? Because church, if you're ever going to really reflect God's love, here's the tough part. you got to love them too. And that's why I said, man, love can get dirty after a while. I'm not talking sexual. I just mean like love can get dirty. Love can really like really, really just test you to the limits of what you are, are capable of. And, and I remember my father every day he was had a lot of people who really hurt him in his life i won't get into the specifics but i mean stuff that just totally messed up just illogical stuff that people did to him his best friends and every day he would tell me that he would have to wake up and his prayer was god give me a clean slate with them so i can love them and people who hurt him he brought them into our household to live with us and people who stabbed in the back he would he would help them with any, anything he could. And so he exhibited for me God's love. And so in my life, I know what it looks like. And I'm not there yet, but yet I had a picture of what it means to show God's love. If anybody knew him, Pastor Carmen, you know him. He was a man characterized by love. That was one of the things you could say about dad was that he loved people. Man, church, what would happen if you began to love people? What would happen if you came to terms with the fact that the person who did hurt you and did scar you for life, that God loves them? The same way he loves you. And that it's your Christian duty to love them. You know what I laugh about is when I hear Christians say something like, Oh, I love you in the love of the Lord. If you had to tell me that, I highly doubt it's real. I really doubt that. Well, I love you in the love of the Lord. Usually we tell folks that who we just don't want to get close to. And so we try to tell them, this is just a God love. Not like a close love, but... I read scripture and all God's love is close. I'm not telling you to go be best friends with the person who hurt you or to go try and get back with your ex. I'm, I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is that you should have a real love for them, not a fake love. Because then fake love makes you a liar, which makes you a sinner. and means that, yeah, you know how that road goes. I'll leave that alone. <laughs> God's love has no limits. And I think that... In the month of February is funny because we talk about love and because Valentine's Day and all you guys get. I don't know why Whitman's and chocolates has anything to do with love. I don't know. My father used to always get my mom Whitman's year round. He never waited just for Valentine's Day. Matter of fact, if you're smart, fellas, and if your girlfriend knows a good thing about what a dollar is worth or something, you'll wait to the day after when it's 50% off, three days after 75, and you're like, girl. You want to get married? That's how they're going to do it. Valentine's Day on the 17th. I saw about four or five girls like, just really past her. Really? You know what I hate about Valentine's Day? For those of you who don't know, I lost my grandfather, my grandmother rather, and my father on Valentine's Day. But that's not what I don't like about Valentine's Day. Really, the day kind of has no bearing on my life. But what I hate about Valentine's Day is this, is that people try to pack love into a day. And we treat our wives like crap all year long, but give them a box of chocolates from Russell Stover's. And think it makes up for something. Baby, if I ever buy you a box of chocolates, it's really for me. I love Russell Stover's. It's a hidden agenda. I don't think that you can, I don't think you can, you can cram love into one day. 
I don't think you can cram love into one card with that has, you know, and the cards get dumber and dumber every year. This one talks, and this one talks with a pop-up, and this one has a talking pop-up and music, and, and the prices go higher and higher and higher. And retailers, you go to these stores, and their hearts everywhere, and they have little little fat angels with arrows and Cupid all over the place, and they have little um, illegal immigrants on the corner selling flowers and, and all this kind of stuff. And it's like, listen, what's so special about today? Today is not a day where I'm going to love someone closer. I have to love them all the time. Love has got nothing to do with February 14th. It does not, but yet in this month, there's a big push about love, but the love that it produces is so fake. It's so unreal. Some of us might receive gifts and girls that might just be a guy trying to get in your pants. It's not love. It's a lot of I really like or I'm really attracted. It's not love. Our idea of love has got to change because love is what love does. And God loved you, so he died for you. And so if you're saying you love God, you have to love what God loves. And that means you have to love the hurting, the broken. And I said to myself, you know, it would be really cool if in, if in the month of February, the church really focused on love, but not love as humans see it, but love as God sees it. That there's nothing you could do. That can make me love you less, God says. One thing I tell a lot of people before counseling, I say, listen, there's nothing you could possibly say to me. And I really mean it with all my heart. There's nothing you can ever say to me that will make me think less of you. There's nothing you could ever tell me that can make me be like, oh, my God, this, this dude is a fool or this chick is crazy. No. Because I always go and approach that topic or that time of counseling with the word of prayer in my heart. God, I want to love these people the way you love them. See them the way you see them, God. You know what I realized? That where there's an opportunity for great love, there has to be opportunity for other things. You know, in order for me to love like God, it means I have to hate like God. And this is where it gets real dirty. I mean, it gets real dirty here. Because in order for me to hate what God hates, I have to hate a lot of the things I love. Just think about that. How could you love what God loves and what God hates? Is that real love then? No. You see, in human eyes, we, we can do that. In human eyes, you can be best friends with somebody and still best friends with somebody else who completely hates that other person, and you'll never bring up the touchy subject because you don't want to address it. Because that would be awkward, and you're friends with both people. Rather than being an agent of love and saying, listen, this isn't right. I don't want to have to choose, but listen, this is wrong. In our eyes, we can do that, but in God's eyes, we can't say we love God and love sin. We can't say we love God and love all the things that bring us away from God. How can you love God and love things that bring you away from God? That's an oxymoron right there. That's kind of like a student teacher. Are you a student or a teacher? I don't know if you remember that whole, that whole sermon I did on oxymorons. I, I never understood why strippers have a dress room. Let that settle in for a second. You have a stage to take it off, but a private room to put it on. Well, isn't that dumb? Isn't that just stupid? Kind of just as stupid as trying to say, I love God, but I love this, what I'm doing in my life, but I know it doesn't please God. Kind of just as dumb. And so I wish you might go home and laugh at yourself the way you laughed at that little corny joke. <laughs> I said, man, I've got some things in me that just, in order to say you love God, you have to get dirty and dig deep in your life. I don't know about you, but I had to come here today and ask you about a thousand questions all premised on one thing, one thing, and that is what if, what would happen if you began to love like God loves and hate like God hates? God hates injustice. The Bible says that God hates injustice. God hates sin, but he loves the sinner. You happen to hate the sinner and hate the sin. But God says, man, I love the sinner, but I hate the sin. 1 John 4, 11. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also, we ought to love one another. How many of you would agree with that statement? That if God loved us, we should love one another. Jesus said this, the greatest commandment after loving God is to love your neighbor as you love yourself. Chances are the majority of you in this place don't know the, 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 the neighbors that live around you. You might know him by his car or by a first name, but you don't know him. Some of you might have lived in the same neighborhood all your life and not even know the people who live around you. 
Some of you might not know the person who lives upstairs and all you hear is them yelling at their kids and all you do is talk about them but never pray about them. Some of you might see uh, a young lady who lives next door by herself and you might see her every week with a different guy walking in and you've already put an opinion about her in your own mind rather than ever praying for her or ministering to her about Jesus Christ, the Lord and Savior of the universe. He said, love your neighbors as you love yourself. And that's kind of that's crazy because you buy yourself a lot of nice stuff. Yeah. That kind of means, you know, you have, to, you have to do for others what you would do for yourself. I'm not telling you that every time you buy yourself a sneaker to go buy your whole neighborhood one. That's not what I'm saying. But what I'm saying is when you see someone in need, do you help them out? It amazes me. Even myself, I probably have close to 20 pairs of shoes. Some of them very old. I don't just, you know, go out every year and buy 20 pairs. And some of them kind of knew that I've never, I haven't bought shoes for myself in a while, but my wife has bought me some and some friends have bought me some for my birthday and whatnot. And, and, and I got a ton of shoes and I, I have a problem about all my shoes. Anybody know what my problem is? I have this thing called two feet. Isn't that weird? We got 30 pairs of shoes, but two feet. And we say stuff about, about rich people. When is enough enough? You see that car they got? Why well, wasn't a Mercedes good? They got a Maybach now. They got a Lamborghini Ferrari. They're just, that's wasteful. If I had all that money, I would have worshipped God with it. You got 30 pairs of shoes that cost about 30 bucks a piece. Shut up, you hypocrite. Maybe they got that car because they have one pair of shoes. Ain't never thought about that. A light bulb just went off. Ah. Huh. If I could just. But how many times do we really, come on, be honest, do we judge other people? That's not a response of love. That's a response of, of just self. But yet, Jesus said the second greatest thing you could do is love the people that are around you. Some of you have been in this church two months, three months, four months, five months. And, and yes, it's the burden of the church to reach out to people who come in. But yet, some of the people who come in... You've been here for maybe three, four years, and I ask you, hey, did you see Sister So-and-so today? I don't even know who that is. Really? You know why? Because God's love's not in you, because when you're at church, it's in and out about yourself. Or say hi to your few friends or your little clique, and we got a pocket here and a pocket there, and this person stands there, and people crowd around them, and we're not focused on nobody else. Look around you. How many people do you not know their names? You can say, oh, well, Pastor, the church is growing. That's no excuse. Because most of you, I know your names. I'll find you on Facebook. I'll stalk you. What's going on? And if you friend request me and I don't know who you are, I ask questions. Other day I was really sick on Wednesday night and I couldn't make it, but I came to, to I, I have all the cameras are attached to my laptop and to my, my, my computers and to my Mac and everything. And so, and so I'm able to watch the cameras, but every time the camera moves, it motions on my phone. And so it was motioning that night, and I opened it up, and there was a young guy there. He looked young. I couldn't tell who he was, and he was a little balding on the side. I was like, who's that guy with a striped blue shirt? And I started texting people. Who's that guy? Why is he in the hallway by himself? Who is this guy? Why nobody reaching out to this guy? It happened to be Michael Spottom. And I said, man, Stephen, why, why, who, who's out there? Who is that? I don't recognize that person. And they're by themselves in the hall. Can somebody go reach out to him? Oh, yeah, I did that. I, I'll stalk people. I don't care. Because it's in my heart to love people. It's in my heart to always accept people. It's in my heart to always make someone feel welcome. If I, if I catch a name, I'll, I'll, I'll look for you on Facebook, and, and then I'll inbox 20 people and say, hey, listen, they've been visiting the church. Show them some love. Embrace them. Welcome them. And some people may say, well, that just sounds crazy. No, that's just showing God's love. God's love can make things get dirty because sometimes there's going to be people who walk into the church that you hate. Oh, my God. I cannot believe that he's here. Who's that? My baby daddy. Oh, they sat him seven rows behind me to the left three seats. Oh, my God. What am I going to do? Should I go? No, girl, this is your church. You stay here. He'll leave when he sees you. Let it be known. This is your church. Put a testimony on Facebook how you love your church. And then name it and put the address and just see what happens. And next week he comes in and you come in late so you can see where he's sitting and try and sit on the other side. But the whole service, you're just distracted. You're just like, show me your glory. And you're so, God, why is he here? Why, why, Lord? And then you go to God in prayer. God, let them leave the church. God, show him. 
Show him he's wrong. And the following week, you get into a real quick relationship, and you bring a guy to church. Or you bring one of your friends, act like you're my boyfriend. Put your hand on my back when I lift my hands to worship God. Okay, perfect. Lower. Lower. Not that low. Not that low. Back up. Back up. Back up. <laughs> like, why are they four, four weeks in? Why are they still at this church? Because they fell in love with what you fell in love with, and that's love. That's why. No, no, no. You don't. And that sounds funny. That, that sounds amusing, and it really does. But the reason I say stuff like that is because I remember as a kid, people used to go to my father and say, Hey, listen, I've been in this church for 18 years, and I want you to take that person and kick them out. What? That happened multiple times. And what happened, the reason I know this is because I was a mama's boy, and my mom slept here, and I slept on the couch next to my mom. I was like a mama's boy supreme, and I slept on the couch next to her. And late at night, people would come to the house or conversations would happen, and I would wake up. And I, if, I, if I showed that I was awake, I was getting beat. And so I would just, <laughs> and I would hear all types of stuff, all types of stuff. Like if I ever have a kid, I can't let him sleep on the couch next to me because, and so one day, one day I'm just like, I'm just, you know, I forgot what it was. My mom caught me. And she was like, she said in Spanish, she said in Spanish, she was like, I got to hang up the phone because I think Felipe's up. He's, he's, he's eavesdropping on me. And I was like, ain't nobody listening to you. <laughs> and she just came over and had my father beat me down. And was, but people would come to the house and demand that my father kick somebody out the church. And my father would be like, they've done no wrong. They haven't hurt us. They haven't hurt the church. I'm not going to. Listen, I've, I've had people come up to me and be like, I cannot believe so-and-so is at the church. They are the liar. They are a hypocrite. They are this, and they are that, and they are this, and they are that. And I've found them to be some of the greatest people I ever met. Yeah, honestly. And a lot of times, a lot of times when people come from other churches, God bless you all. But sometimes uh, there's this thing that goes on that sometimes you pastors tell each other. But what it really happens is that they, they, they say, well, that person has this issue. Watch out for that. Watch out for this. And they're just bad and this and that. And I'm not about that. I'm about showing God's love. I'm about saying, I don't care what you've done, what you, I don't care what your past. We're going to accept you, give you a clean slate. And sometimes showing God's love, church, that can get dirty. Anybody agree with that? That can get dirty. Digging into your lives and pulling out all the things that do not please God, that can get your life dirty. I don't know about you, but my desire as a pastor is to really be someone who provokes the church to real change. And today that real change has got to be love. And I know some of you don't like to get dirty, so I took the liberty of, of going to a store and I bought everybody a pair of gloves. Not any gloves, work gloves. Angel, could you start passing out gloves to all these people who want them? Come on, wine, pass out some gloves. This pastor's crazy. He's giving us work gloves. And the reason for this is that every day, every day when you wake up, I want you to put these somewhere where you're going to see them and you're going to realize that real love drives home work. Real love will make me get dirty. Real love causes me to have to work hard. This is not easy. It's not going to be easy. But I'm ready to get dirty for God. I'm ready to love the people who I hate. I'm ready to embrace the people who have hurt me. I'm ready to embrace the prostitute. I'm ready to embrace anybody, the drug addict, the crackhead, the beggar over at Walgreens anybody y'all know him at Walgreens right just me no he always gets me always gets me is anybody here with me today <clears throat> Jesus said in John 15 come on let's focus as they pass them out let's focus they'll get to you Stephen give him a hand give him a hand help him out Melvin come on help him out I hope we have enough I bought I think 150 160 if not I got you next week I swear I do come back and say you owe me some work gloves I cleaned Harbor Fried out I said do you have any more and they said you ain't got enough no 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 I need about 240 pairs really I'll give you a moment as you get your gloves come on get your gloves yeah you're getting your gloves getting your gloves isn't this awesome you came to church not only you got a, a word of God you got some worship you got some gloves you got some gloves. Some of you got brown gloves. Those are the ones who are going to really get dirty. If you get hit with a pair of brown gloves, God is calling you for something serious. 
Some of the gloves have rubber grips, and God's calling you to love some sticky things in your life, some things that keep slipping away. Some of you get regular gloves. That don't mean you're just nothing. God says you have to work hard. Amen? Is everybody getting gloves? This is so exciting. You're coming to church and getting gloves. Somebody said, I got gloves. It's going to be funny at the end of the service when we're all worshiping God with gloves on. Oh, my God. Take a picture of that one, guys. Just gloves everywhere. They're going to think we're the weirdest church in Bridgeport. Just gloves. What? But let me tell you something, church. On a serious note, come on. I'm over here. I'm over here. Focus, focus. Loving is hard work. Loving is hard work. Loving God is hard work because loving God means hating what God hates, and that means hating sin, and that means digging deep in your life and taking things out that don't please God. Anybody here who's gloveless? You're gloveless. Daniel, Anthony, right here. Do we have an extra pair of gloves? Anybody else gloveless? Levi, Levy, come on, give Levy a pair of gloves. He's gloveless. Yeah, I need a pair of gloves. Oh, I got the brown ones? Oh, man. I was talking about y'all, you know. Come on, everybody, lift your gloves up. If you don't have it on, just lift it up. Want to hear something cool? For the next four weeks, you're either going to be gloveless or loveless. I just made that up right now. Let's come on. I'm just kidding. Either you're going to be gloveless or loveless. I don't know about you, but sometimes when we leave church, we forget, you know, we forget what's what's going on, and we forget how good the preaching was. We forget how good the sermon was. We forget how good the worship was. And how many of you know that that after church is the time where when you get into the argument with your kids or your husband, your wife, or somebody upset you or something, and the moment after service, like you're already yelling at somebody. But I want you to have these somewhere in your house where before you yell at somebody, you see this glove and you're like, oh my God, I have to love like Christ loves. And right now they're treating me really dirty. And in order to handle how dirty they're treating me, and I have a, I have a feeling this week that at some point my wife's going to hit me with a glove. I challenge you to a duel. Just, and this isn't something to be like, thrown at people. You're, you're loveless here. Take a glove, you loveless, gloveless person. But this is to show the real character of God. Come on, band. This is to show the real character of God. That you're saying, you know what? You know what? You know what? I want to get dirty. I really want to dig deep. How many of you, come on, how many of you want to dig deep in your life? And you may think this church is wild or crazy, or, but I'm telling you, all we desire to do is be like Christ. Amen. Come on, stand with me as we're about to close. I want to just give you a chance to show your glove and love for God. Loving and gloving for Jesus. Come on. Loving and gloving for Jesus. Somebody say, I'm loving and gloving.